Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Ironcast. We've got Kev Keane today and Ginge is not in the episode as he was a little bit late. And I want to start this episode by asking Ginge, which managers for your West Ham playing career were you most scared of being late for? Cool. Um, all of them. <laughs> uh, probably Big Sam. Big Sam. He was... I don't like being late. Generally was a bit of traffic today. I hate oh, being late. I and feel like Big Sam. Yeah. He was... Um, Big Sam was very... On the dot, don't be late. All of them. I, yeah, there was none that I didn't enjoy going in front of and saying why I, why I was late. To be honest, would you, would you ever be late and like have to run out onto the training yeah. pitch like while everyone's in the middle of a oh god? A couple of times, my oh. my worst nightmare being late, and yeah, a couple of times late in and have to run out. All the boys have started and you're apologising and yeah, not good. I apologise again. Uh, what was it? What was the fine back of the day? Ten percent of your wages? Yeah, oh, whatever. Yeah. If you got Sam on a good day, it'd be give him enough money for a couple of pints, probably. Or it oh, yeah. could, if it was really bad, it'd be two weeks' wages. All right, we'll just leave it on the side after this yeah, episode. Um, today's Kev Keen, right? Kev Keen, um, just done the episode, just done the interview with him, and uh, what an intelligent mm. thinker he's. This the, he's so measured. And what was what was your experience? work with him first of all an amazing coach like on the grass he honestly he probably is not a not a people know about kev as a coach but he was tremendous like you say a thinker real real football man and just an incredible guy uh any sort of time he was you know he wanted a bit of advice you'd, you'd speak to kev and and like i said on the grass his sessions were were incredible and like i say a proper proper football man proper west Ham man and you know, we are lucky at West Ham to have him uh, here as a coach. Yeah, totally. All right, without further further ado, here he is, Kevin Keane. Joined West Ham as an apprentice in 1983. Here we are, sat down together 40 years later. Lots to talk about. Here's Kev Keane. Our guest this week on Ironcast, 219 league games as a player, three spells as caretaker manager, currently our under-18 coach. And for me... One of the stars of the 92-93 season. The, the season, the team that got me into West Ham. It's a pleasure to welcome to Ironcast, Kevin Keane. Welcome, Kev. Thanks, Chris. That 92-93 season, it's the, the impact of it is everywhere at West Ham. Obviously, me, the host of Ironcast, that, this is the season that got me into West Ham. I was even looking at my iPad cover this morning. It's based on last season's yeah. uh, West Ham away kit. Yeah. But that in, is in itself inspired by the 92-93 season away kit. You're at the club. 
Kenny Brown's involved with the academy. Mark Robson is a first-team coach now. The seeds of that team yeah. are everywhere. Again. And don't forget Potsy as well. Oh, Potsy, <laughs> how could I miss that one out? Yeah, so no, it is. And it was a fantastic year. It's one of my favourite years in professional football. Um, thoroughly enjoyable, played every game. Um, a lot of assists, a few goals. So it was a fantastic season playing at Upton Park in front of the lights. And I think uh, more people mention that when I go to the ground. People say, oh, what about 92-93? I think because of a generational thing, like, you know, yeah. you were a young man and probably that was your first season. Or, so it was a fantastic season. Wonderful end to the season as well. So close, doing it on goal difference. Um, yeah, it's a really good memory. We're going gonna, gonna to drill right into that in a minute. But obviously... Ginger's late today, Kev, so I wanted to ask you. You played under Billy Bonds, Lou McCary, John Lyle. How did different managers treat lateness? What What do you remember as being the punishments? Uh, it's just a fine. In football, normally around that time, it was a fine. I mean, John was pretty steady with uh, report 10 o'clock, train up past 10, which if you think about it nowadays when people do prehab, rehab, um, all sorts of stuff, breakfast, um, would sound strange, but we used to turn up at 10 o'clock. People would be sneaking in through the back door at quarter past and we'd still try, start training <laughs> at half 10, you know. Um, so, no, it was normally a fine and it went into the players' kitty. Yeah. What about in the academy now? I'd, uh, I would be terrified being late for you, I think. Yeah. The academy, um, we've got a system of three strikes, which uh, if you do three things wrong, so if you're late, if you don't do your jobs, um, if it's three strikes in a month. You get three strikes in a month and you have to spin a wheel and you might get something uh, like clean the minibuses or um, travel with the under nines to Norwich on Sunday morning and be part of the coaching team. You know, that sort of stuff, you know, stuff that's a little bit educational. Um, yeah. We don't really do fines anymore. I'm not a big fan of fines, to be honest. Yeah. It sounds like community service, basically. If uh, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Community <laughs> three strikes and you do community service. So you've been at West Ham in a long time. I didn't. I don't think I really realised you were back. Uh, you joined West Ham as an apprentice in 1983. Yeah. So you have seen the academy change so much. What was it like back in your day when you first arrived? Uh, well, I, I tell people, me and Potsy walked through the door 40 years ago last summer. You know, we come in as apprentices together. 40 years. Uh, which sounds a long time ago, obviously. So that was when I was 16. Um the training grounds changed so changed so much. Um, was it still Chadwell Heath when you? It was still Chadwell Heath. I mean, Chadwell Heath's been here since the fifties, I think. The the photographs coming up the stairs, you can see the Jeff Hurst, the Bobby Moore's training here under Ron Greenwood, which is inspirational for the young boys to see that. They're probably not sure who they are in those black and white photos, but no, this goes back a long, long time, and it's changed so much. I came back five years ago, and the improvements in this has been amazing. The gym, uh, the cafeteria, the changing rooms, but especially for me, the sports hall. The sports hall was my, was my favourite place as a player, and now it's even more favourite. The amount of work that you can do in there, coaching, um, and just getting a little bit of a, a sweat on, doing six sides and things like that. This is my favourite place. Did you, like having such a responsibility over the academy, do you ever think to yourself, I came here as an apprentice and now I'm in charge. Do you, do you still think like that or is it kind of passed you by almost? Uh, occasionally that, that comes across me. I mean, I mean, Kenny must be the same. Steve must be the same. Um, especially I think Steve and I, because we came through as apprentices under Tony Carr and then Tony Carr had a big, uh, big part of our up uh, coming through the, the academy and into the team. And then when I came back uh, in 2002, Tony was still the academy manager and I worked under him. So it's, Fantastic place. It's got a brilliant history. You've got all the players who've come through behind us who've made it into the first team. We just need to get a few more in there now, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it must be quite an easy sell almost as to be like the an academy leader as you are when you can see all these names on the board behind you if you're a young uh, ambitious footballer the West Ham Academy, it speaks for itself almost, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, the big sell for me is the fact that if you're good enough, you're going to play up. So if you're 15 and you're good enough, you're going to play in the 18s. If you're 17 and you're good enough, you're going to play in the 21s. If you're 18 and you're good enough, you're going to be given an opportunity to play in the first team like Ollie Scales last year and Divine last year. So I think in comparison to you know certain clubs um, who throw a lot of money about at their academies, I mean, we're talking millions of pounds that academies spend on players. Our big pull is the fact that, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to get in the team above. And then if you're really, really good enough, you're going to play in our first team. And that's always been so. And that's our, our big thing to get kids into the academy. It's, it's always been the case, really, at West Ham. Even going back to your day, you made your debut in uh, September 1986, which was just off the back of the famous Boys of 86 season. So were you there going to all those games in 86? So the Boys of 86 season was the, the season four I made my debut. I was sub once. I mean, it was a, a, an era then when you only had one sub. I was sub once and didn't actually get on So uh, that in that 86 season. But I travelled to a lot of the games uh, as part of the squad, uh, being the one who's left out. So it was a, an amazing experience watching... That team, you know, the Cotties, McAvenny, Alan Devonshire, Billy Bonds, Phil Parks, absolutely amazing to, to watch those players and some of the best players that have played for this club. And obviously that season, they achieved something that no one's been able to do since. So you must have been so excited that following season as you start getting into the first team. What was your mindset like? Were you intimidated by the enormous characters around there or did it? Um, I think they were really welcoming. In, in, at Chadwell Heath that time, there was a apprentices and young professionals changing room, and then there was the senior changing room, and you had to wait for John Lyle to say to you, "You're moving up to the senior changing room." And that was a big moment because you went from being in and around a load of people, load of players your age, to these senior players. Like I say, some of them who'd been training and playing here for years: Billy Bonds, Frank Lampard, were the two big senior figures. Oh, and Trevor was last season when I was here. So they were big, big figures, but they made it really welcoming. And then you obviously had the jokers in the pack, like to Tony Gales, who would uh, make you at ease by taking the out of you. So, yeah, it was <laughs> it was daunting. But at the same time, it, that's what you wanted. That's what you wanted to get up to the next changing room. You wanted to make your debut. You wanted to be a professional footballer. Yeah. And you're playing under John Lyle. Is there aspects of John Lyle that you carry with you to this day? Are there things you do that you sometimes think, oh, I've, I might have taken that off John Lyle? I think a lot of the training sessions that we do here are um, adaptations of stuff we did with John and I did with Tony Carr. And I'd mentioned Ronnie Boyce and Mick McGiven as well, who were the first team coaches then. Throughout my career, I think there was always an eye on coaching because my dad went from a player to be a coach, to be a manager. So there was always that little eye and you'd always think, oh, that was a good session. That was something I enjoyed that was hard work or I learned from. Um, so... There, there, there is that. I, I do lots of sessions that are probably adapted from Tony Carr sessions. I would say. I love that. Like you're almost like the thread through history of this <laughs> club. Yeah. Um, you, when you started playing in the late '80s, it was a difficult time, especially for John Lyle. That the team that '86 finished third had such a great season, and it felt like things just seemed to slip away season yeah. after season until we got relegated in '89 and John left the club. It must have been quite a hard time to come into the squad and be around the club. Yeah, I mean, West Ham's history around that time was up, down. They'd had some time in the uh, second division in the 70s as well, won the FA Cup as the second division team. Um, so 
it wasn't unusual. And I think as a West Ham fan, you know, that up, down, being near relegation was sort of part of West Ham life up until these last few years when the gaffers sort of kept us in the top half of the table. Mm. So it wasn't too much of a surprise. And I think for me as a young player, that following season after we got relegated, even uh, under Lou Macari, it was the first season really where I felt like, no, I'm a regular in the team. I'm, you know, I'm one of the first names or one of the players that is regularly being picked. And that made me feel a little bit more assured and maybe dropping down a level and being one of the better players. Um, I think that helped my career, um, playing more games and just gaining a little bit of confidence in being, yeah, I'm good enough to do this. I'm good enough to be a West Ham player. I'm good enough to play in front of the chicken run and get a little bit of stick, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was a problem, but that's part of, again, being a professional footballer and being part of West Ham, I think. Yeah. So it, it, replacing John Lyle is Lou Macari, and it was quite a controversial appointment, really, because it was the first time West Ham had appointed a manager who's not within that kind mm. of academy system, right. who had been part and parcel of the club. When I speak to people who played under Lou Macari, you get very different opinions. It seemed to me, from what I hear, he sounded like a very hard taskmaster and it was all about, you know, physical fitness and almost drilling players into the ground. Was that your experience? Yeah, I think certainly for the lads who'd been here a long time, your Alan Debs, your Tony Gales, the senior players found it really, really difficult because of the West Ham traditions and all of a sudden you get this taskmaster come in who really did train us hard for me it was different you know I was 22 and like I say it was the first time and Lou picked me every week and I was like okay <laughs> and and for a footballer the most important thing is on a Saturday that you're in that starting 11 so I look back now and yeah it was a time that was quite tough and Lou obviously didn't last very long um, but eventually when I left and I went to Wolves and I struggled at Wolves. Lou come and picked me and took me to Stoke. So, yeah, I've got mixed feelings. I've got mixed feelings. <laughs> well, one of the things that Lou Macari did is he brought in this whole raft of West Ham players that yes. would go on to become yeah. legendary characters of the club, yeah. like Ludo McCloskey, Trevor Morley, Ian Bishop, Martin Allen. And you start to see the seeds of this squad that would form in 92, 93. They were all fantastic characters. Yeah, and and as much as people give Lou stick, you've got to give him massive credit for those signings because you're talking, just read off some names that played a lot, a lot of games for his football club and bought that character, passion. Uh, Bish bought a little bit of flair. Trevor bought goals and a real hustle and bustle. Martin bought his mad dog personality and real character and personality on the pitch. I always felt like, I mean, Martin is one of my best friends, someone who... I still speak to and still still um, really look up to. Um, I felt like he was like um, a protector on the pitch for me. If someone was going to kick me up in the air, I knew. And then within five minutes, they're, take, they're getting kicked by him. So brilliant character, someone I spent a lot of time with because we travelled in together for six years. He'd drive one day, I'd drive the other day, and it was like an hour from the other side of London. I feel like he perhaps brought me out my shell per, personality-wise, whereas I, I think I'd took him down a little bit a little bit I'm not sure <laughs> he probably needed it to be um, you know he, he, he had this uh, a sponsored car by Alan Ford with his name on the side sponsored by Alan every week we'd get the the manager of the garage ringing up and saying Martin we've had a complaint about your driving you've cut up someone or you've nipped in front of someone so real character real personality and and Ludo as well what what a sign Lou made there what a sign I mean I was lucky enough here to play with 
probably the two best goalkeepers that I played with in my career in Phil Parks and Ludo McCloskey, two amazing goalkeepers. But not only that, two absolutely fantastic people. Fantastic people. Oh, oh, man. People. Just a little personal story. I had to present the West Ham fan zone in Prague on the day of the final. Obviously, Czech Republic being Ludo's country, yeah. not from near Moscow, as the song, as the song suggests. <laughs> but Ludo came on stage to talk to the fans. And the fans, you, you, Ludo, you couldn't hear him because all the fans, thousands of fans in this fan zone in Prague were chanting his name. And Ludo got choked up. You could see how much it mean, yeah. meant to him. And although the man is an absolute giant... He is a gentle giant. He's just such a wonderful personality and how much it meant to him to be recognised by the West Ham fans. Was... I, th I think out of, I mean, in football a long time, out of all the players I've come across, I would say Ludo is the most humble, understated person. Wow. And I, I think maybe that's part of his upbringing, but wonderful, pl uh, wonderful player and a, a, a really great person. In terms of club legends, it doesn't get much bigger than Billy Bonds. And that was the man who replaced Lou Macari. And it must have been an interesting time for you because you played with Billy Bonds as a player. You were kind of equals in the dressing room. And then Billy came in as the manager. Was that strange for you? Or did you, I can imagine you, you probably had quite a lot of respect for him anyway. So it might have been an easy transition. Yeah, certainly not equals in the changing room. You know, this, was, <laughs> this was a man who played 600 games for the club. <laughs> Um, I think for Steve and I, it was easy to play for Billy. We both idolised him. We'd both come through and seen how hard he trained. He never lost a, a run on pre-season. You couldn't get anywhere near him. If you were on his team in five sides, you were going to win. Um, absolute legend, wonderful, wonderful person. And for me, he was a really good manager and someone who inspired me to play my best football in that 92-93 season. How did he? What was his kind of managerial technique? How did that inspiration work? Was it more kind of demonstrate, leading by example, or was he more of a talker? I think for for me, it was just him being Billy Bonds and his name in the football club. Um, his management style wasn't too loud. He probably led through example. Still joined in in games, uh, and then I think Harry coming in alongside him just gave a little tactical nous that took us on again. So the, the the pair of them together was a really, really good combination. Interesting in that dressing room as well. One of the big characters we haven't mentioned yet, Julian Dix. Mm. And, uh, some of the things <laughs> I've heard about uh, Julian Dix and Billy Bonds. I, mean, I think what's, what's interesting about those two is, in a way, they're kind of the same person. Fierce competitor. But I've heard that they used to do, did you not used to do staff versus player games? And the two of them on the training pitch would clash physically. Yeah. I mean, very similar in terms of their personalities on the pitch. Win at all costs, work hard, tackle, and, and at the same time have a real ability and a skill on the ball. Off the pitch, quite different people, I would say. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was those clashes, but I played with Julian for a, a probably um, over 50% of the games I played for West Ham. I played with Julian, whether I was playing in front of him on left midfield or whether I was playing uh, right midfield. He was an amazing person to play with, a fantastic player. You know, he's idolised by the fans, correctly so, because he was a really, really top player. Wore his heart on his sleeve, a little bit like Martin. Um, could be a bit rash at times. I can remember one particular one, Newcastle away, where he just absolutely took Franz Carr out in the corner and sort of started walking before the ref even <laughs> come over. And in those days, obviously, a red card was harder to get than, than now. Um, but... Julian was a, a real character, real character. I, I, it's, it's good for me. It's interesting for me that he's gone on and into coaching with Slaven, especially because um, I wouldn't have had him put him down for that. Uh, totally. <laughs> like he, his, atti his attitude, I remember, I remember hearing that 
he would only really be invested in training if there were balls on the pitch. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And he would be, being fair to me, he'd be one of the first person out on the training pitch, but he'd be one of the first person out there and playing in goal. Um, with real enthusiasm, you know, a, a boy-like enthusiasm, like going up the park, oh, let's just chuck some jumpers down. I'll go in goal. Yeah, go on, try and score against me. All right, West Ham fans, one way you can support Ironcast and help us rocket up the charts and beat off the competition from other official football clubs' podcasts, like Chelsea and like Spurs, is to get a five-star rating or review from you. Support me and Ginger on the podcast, chuck us a five-star rating review and help us rocket up the charts where West Ham belong, at the top of the table. Back on with the show. It seemed like um, that 92-93 season, we've mentioned there's a couple of people who are nutters, Martin out mad, the mad, the mad <laughs> dog, his name, you know, Julian Dix. You had, on one side of things, the really emotional, almost rash players, tremendously skillful and tenacious. And then I would say you and maybe Mark Robson and even like Kenny Brown, as we mentioned earlier, Steve Potts, almost like the grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can, <laughs> I can see that. But then I think when you have a squad that's successful, you normally get those different personalities, different types of skills. Tim Brakey, you've not mentioned, oh, who course. was very steady, unbelievable athlete. He'd be, he'd be fantastic in the modern game. Unbelievable athlete. Didn't say a lot. Um, occasionally drop a dry joke in. But yeah, all those different characters make up a good team. And then once you get on a little bit of a roll, everyone has their different personality in the changing room and on the pitch as well. Um, it comes out on the pitch, whether it's uh, Bish, you know, being casual and just hitting 40 yarders as if it's, you know, it's something you do every day. Martin making tackles. Um, yeah, all those different characters come out on the pitch and in the changing room. Like I say, it was one of my favorite, one of my favorite years. Not my favorite, but one of my favorite. Oh, really? What would be the favorite then? My favorite year in football was last year. Wow. Winning the uh, Youth Cup, which I'm no doubt you'll ask me about later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get on to that. <laughs> um, just, just before the 92-93 season starts, obviously, we get, relegated, we get relegated in 1992, but not before we stop Manchester United winning the title. Mm. And a, a famous <laughs> night over Upton Park. Sir Alex Ferguson described the West Ham effort as obscene because we yep. were already relegated. Yep. First question on that night, Kenny Brown scored the winner, but did he mean it? Yes, I think he did. You did? Yeah. I do, yeah. I do. Yeah. Okay. He's my boss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you've got to say that. But again, one of those magical nights over Upton Park where everything just seemed to... Upton Park under the lights on a Tuesday night is unfor unforgettable. You felt like in that changing room, we were not going to lose. It didn't matter who came. Um, I think the Everton game, FA Cup quarterfinal that Stuart Slater was outstanding in, that's another Tuesday night at Upton Park. But you just felt um, indestructible. It was incredible. The atmosphere, the feel of the crowd, under the lights. I, I can't really explain why. But for me, again, some of the best memories of my, my football career playing on Tuesday nights at Upton Park. And I'm sure the crowd felt it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? It's like the atmosphere was sometimes crackle. Can't even really put your finger on why. No, it, it was like a crackle, a real... Momentum, even, you know, I'm, I'm pulling out a ridiculous game. You know, we went to Oldham and lost 6-0 in the first round of the League Cup. And yet we're coming back to Upton Park and I'm thinking, if we can get in front here, you, you <laughs> never, never know. We're not winning the game 3-0, the second leg, but it could have been 4-5 on, an, on another day. 
So even, you know, that to that extent that you're thinking, all right, we're 6-0 down here. There's still a chance. It's Tuesday <laughs> night at Upton Park. <laughs> so, uh, of course, I've got to ask about the 92-93 season. It ended in such glory. But I wanted one player we haven't mentioned so far was Clive Allen. When mm. you, and um, I've probably watched that season review more than any other season in my life. But when you watch it back... Clive Allen is a, such a deadly finisher for us. And his yeah. goals to games ratio that season was incredible. What was it like to play with? It feel like you were providing a lot of assists for him. Yeah, I mean, Clive's an outstanding finisher. I, I actually played with Clive Allen, Martin Allen and Paul Allen. I'm not sure there's too, <laughs> too many played with all those cousins. Clive was an outstanding finisher. I had two goals stand out for me. He scored in the Anglo-Italian Cup. Cremonese. Was it Cremonese? It Cremonese what away. a goal. I mean, the, the game should have been called off. The pitch was totally waterlogged. <laughs> you couldn't really play a pass along the ground. So someone's tossed one up to him on the edge of the box and he volleyed it on the angle in the top corner. So I remember that one. But I think his most important one was uh, Swindon away, which was, I think, the last but one game of the season where Portsmouth had already played the day before. We were on telly, so we were playing after them. And we knew that if we won, we'd be in with a real shout and Clive scored a goal on the angle in front of the West Ham fans down to the left at Swindon. Um, there's just, you know, I remember that one because it was so important and I'm not sure there's too many would have scored the goal because it was on such an angle. He's put it in off the far post. And I think after that game, we all felt, no, we're in charge of the situation now. And then obviously the the last game against Cambridge took care of itself. Yeah, you're not even mentioned Clive Allen's goal in the, like the dying embers of the game against Cambridge to win 2-0 yeah. the tap-in. And what's interesting about that is the 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 fans are like pressed up against the goal net behind the behind the goal of what was the South Bank, mm. and the and the fans are right on the touchline. Clive Allen scores that tap in from a Julian Diggs assist, and then the white fear on Clive Allen's face as the hordes <laughs> of West Ham fans run and pick him up. Yes. What were the celebrations like after that Cambridge game? Because it like it was all down to that final game, really. We were in a really good position, but what was that feeling like to get West Ham into the Premier League for the first time? Incre incredible feeling, celebrations afterwards. All the players are come, uh, all the supporters running on the pitch. I lost my socks, my boots. Um, I ended up going into the changing room just for my shorts, and I think everything else had gone. <laughs> and my boots, I'm still worried about my boots because they were my favourite pair of boots. But someone's got them somewhere. And then obviously up on the on the stand on the balcony there, and and the. The pitch was full of people. It was incredible. And then I actually, myself, my wife, uh, Martin and Clive uh, and our wives, we went out in, uh, we, we all live west side, so we went out to a restaurant that night oh. and had a real, real good time. So we get to the Premier League, West Ham in the Premier League for the first time. You were runner-up hammer of the year, played, like you say, every game. Mm. I remember being a kid thinking, I can't wait to see Kev Keane in the Premier League mm. with West Ham. Mm. But it didn't happen. Mm. Well, and I, why? Oh, this is where the, this is where it gets a bit dodgy. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, it never made sense, and I wanted to say as well. Mark Robson was outstanding for us that season as well. But for some reason, Harry Redknapp, who was manager, uh, was sorry, he was still assistant. But you got the sense that he didn't fancy him. That's what I've heard. There was a few players in that team, ninety two, ninety three, yourself included, who was so was such a driving force, but just didn't get the chance. Yeah, I mean, I left that summer, I went to Wolves, uh, I was out of contract and uh, the club offered me a contract. I don't want to go into it too much, but as a young player coming through, sometimes you perhaps don't get the money that other people getting signed get. And I just had a, a young son 
And it was difficult. I mean, it was an amazingly difficult decision. I can remember coming out in tears in a meeting with Billy when I said, look, I've got, I've got to go. I've got to go. And in hindsight, it was probably not the correct decision. But at that time, for me, my family, it was the right decision. Oh, man. Do you ever think what might have been that 90? Like... Yeah, you do. But at the same time, I went on to play, you know, another 300 games in my career. I played a 220 for Stoke, 50 for Wolves, another 100 at Macclesfield. When you know, So you never know. If I'd have stayed, something different might have happened. But I, I can't worry about that yeah. now. Um, I went on and had loads more games. But, yeah, sometimes I think, you know, what would happen if I'd have stayed? I'd have loved to have played in the... Because people say, do you play in the Premier League? Well, I played in the old first division for West Ham. Does that count? Or have I got to say the Premier League? Because I'm a bit of a quiz maestro and I hate all these questions. In the Premier League era, in the Premier League, who's yeah. it? Well, what about football before that, actually? You it didn't know? exist, Kev. You it sure? Didn't exist, no. It didn't exist. Um, it was invented in 92. Yeah, exactly. So, no, um, it's a tough one to talk about, Chris, because, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a long time ago now. And at that time the decision was made and I feel like I made the right decision and um, maybe with hindsight we'd have done something a little bit different but there you go I always think I mean I always thought it was a bit of an injustice that Mark Robson didn't get more of a shake at West Ham in the Premier yeah. League and 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 when he was appointed first team coach I thought yes the kind of universe has corrected itself and I feel the same way about that yeah. about you in that your role now it eventually it all kind of worked out you're here now yeah. i would con i would consider you not only for what you did in your playing career but what you've gone on to do as a coach you're a west ham legend not not just because it ended your playing career at west ham ended in 93 but what you've gone on to achieve yeah. since i appreciate that chris I, I, whenever people say legend I, I i struggle with it a little bit because i think i've been a good servant and i've done a lot of years for me legend is bobby moore mm. jeff hurst billy bonds alan devonshire you know when we're talking about legends of West Ham. Um, that's that's me. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I like the fact that you said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've, I've worked hard and I think this is my 24th or 25th year yeah. uh, working for the club. So, yeah, it's And you been first a, came here 40 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. you've, you've put a shift in. Yeah, 40 years in football. I'm surprised <laughs> I've still got my hair, but... Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Tony Carr at the start of this episode. I don't think any West... I mean, he's never played a game for West Ham, but I, don't, I doubt uh, there's many fans who wouldn't who wouldn't suggest he's a legend for the impact he's had on the club. Yeah, he's uh, definitely a legend. You look at a similar the, role, obviously. Yeah, yeah, the players that came through under Tony, uh, going back to, you know, they, they reel off Cotty, Dickens, George Paris... Um, Rio Ferdinand, Anton Ferdinand, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick. And then you come through to this next generation when I was in and around with uh, Elliot Ward, Junior Stanislaus, people even get Junior Stanislaus, was, you know, come through here. Mm. Um, going through all the way through at this moment in time, you know, we had obviously had Declan, Ben Johnson. Hopefully over the next couple of years, we'll have a few more. Yeah. So you came back to the club in uh, 2002 as academy coach. And uh, what was that first day like coming back after what would have been nine years it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I come back in and, and not a lot had changed at that uh, time at Chadwell. And then to come back in under Tony, um, we had some really good young players. And just learning as a coach, um, I'd already done a little caretaker stint at Macclesfield and been first team coach, player coach at Macclesfield. So the, the coaching bit was there. And then just topping that off with little bits with Tony every day, being in at half eight, going through training, numbers, organisation. I think for a lot of coaches, the organisation bit, a lot of players who turn into coaches, it's the organisation bit. 
um, that is that can be a problem. And I think it's a it's a big thing that probably goes overlooked. That's a bit boring, but there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it was it was brilliant. And then to come back and you know I turned up and I've got uh, Tony Cars and Jimmy Hampson. It was at the time said, oh by the way, you've got um, a fifteen year old who's, who's who's pretty good. You need to look out for him and make sure you look after him because I was taking the under sixteens, and that was Mark Noble. Um, so I've turned, come back and I've got Mark Noble as my, you know, under 16 captain. And I've looked at this kid and I thought, oh my God, this kid could be playing in the first team in a couple of years. And which is, could you tell that straight away? Yeah, you can, you can. He was outstanding already as a schoolboy. Um, he trained with the first team and then when he came in with the youth team and straight away got moved up to the 21s and the first team. So within a couple of years, you could see the only thing for Mark was just the physical cause he wasn't the biggest but he worked on that really hard, had a short loan spell at Ipswich, and then there you go. However many games, what was it, 500 games later? Yeah. And however many years. And now he's back and still part of the furniture as well. Yeah. And what was his attitude like, even at that young age? Because I think he's got a, a kind of almost unique personality in that he doesn't hide away. He's, he's always, but he shouts, shouts a lot. <laughs> you know, Did he have that kind of attitude straight away, or was that something he developed? Straight away. Straight away, as a 16-year-old, he ha he wanted to be a winner. And I see it less and less in kids today, that real winner at all costs. Winner at all costs. If it means I've got to shout at the referee, if it means I've got to take someone out, if it means I've got to run around for 105 minutes as fast and as quick as I can. He had a athleticism that was there. Never the quickest, probably a little bit sharper when he was younger. But uh, in terms of being able to last 90 minutes, his vision, his understanding, technique, and that real will to win, which I saw uh, when, I, when I left here and went to two or three other clubs, I saw at a real, really high level. And Mark had that. And it's interesting because in the young people of today, I, I don't see that as much. And it's something that I really have to try and get into them, really get into them. But Mark had that from yeah when I first met him. You got you got to win, whether it's um, all right past that ball nearest to the cone. There I beat you, or whether it's a eleven aside. He wanted to win. It's the decider. Be there as West Ham United attempt to secure a spot in the last sixteen of the UEFA Europa League against SC Freiburg on Thursday, the fourteenth of December at eight pm in a match that will determine who finishes top of the group. It's all to play for in another huge night under the lights at London Stadium. Tickets start at just thirty-five pounds for adults and fifteen for juniors. Get yours now at eticketing.co.uk forward slash whufc or by calling 0333-030-1966. So you're still involved with the academy now, as we've touched on now, your position as an under-18 coach. Like, Could you give um, listeners of the podcast a sense of how did you, what's your job day-to-day? -day? What does it involve? Uh, so we're in uh, training four, we train four days a week and their education on a Wednesday, and then we play Saturday mornings. We play in the Southern Premier League, so we play Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Southampton, uh, Aston Villa. It's a really, really good competitive league. Um, and we, we've done quite well. Last four or five years, we finished runner-up uh, three times, and then we won the league last last year, first time for a long time. And it's a really, really good standard. Um, Chelsea, the first couple of years back, were very, very strong. And then Fulham had a very good couple of teams, which you know a couple of their players went on to play, go uh, transfer to Liverpool. 
so you see very early early on i remember in my first year here we played chelsea away uh brosia played and livramento the lad who's doing really well at New newcastle so straight away you see like with mark noble you see the ones who you think mm, you have got a chance of playing in the premier league and the standard of the premier league in comparison to when i came back in 2002 the the, the standard has just gone through the roof um more international players it's much more difficult to get players through to the first team because of that and mm. because of the standard, because it is the world's league, isn't it? It's, it's not just the English Premier League, it's the world league. Yeah. It's the, the best one in the world. So it's really tough to get players through. But when you do see those ones, whether it's on the opposition or in my opinion with my, my team last year, I think there's, there's four or five that can push through and play in the Premier League. And you mentioned earlier on, what a season the academy had last year. You said yeah. it was your favourite year in football. Yeah. Let's talk about those achievements. I mean, yeah, winning the Premier League South under 18s and then the FA Youth Cup, the final. Usually when West Ham win a trophy, it's a tense affair. Yeah. You saw it in Prague last minute. <laughs> but the West, West Ham won the FA Youth Cup at Arsenal and they blew them away. Yeah. And what was it like to be beyond the touchline of that and cruise to a, a trophy? The, the last, once we'd got the fourth goal, which I think was about with about 20 minutes to go, um, I turned to Mark Phillips, who's a long serving academy member here and said, you know, let's enjoy this, Mark, because this doesn't happen very often in football. I've been in football 40 years. <laughs> this doesn't happen very often. And then you get the fifth and you, you're really, really enjoying it. Um, I had such faith in that team. It's such a talented young group. Um, outstanding young players. A lot of them had been together since they were nine. So there was a real camaraderie. And then with the, last year, we brought a couple of young Irish lads in, Callum Marshall and Patrick Kelly, who added a little bit of bite to it. And we felt like we, we were strong last year and that, that showed. Whether it was the, the semi-final as well against Southampton at the London Stadium was an amazing occasion in front of 10,000. We played really, really well. But the final, to go 1-0 down and then... Um, George Ethie scored a fantastic goal. Callum scored. Gideon scored one of the best goals you're probably going to see at the Emirates. To have a crowd of 34,000, of which I'm saying half were West Ham. At least. At least. And then after the game, to top it off, and I, I don't think it will, well, it, it's never going to happen again. Bubbles was playing, being played while we celebrated on the pitch. That's never happening at the Emirates again. <laughs> in front of all those fans. And absolutely amazing end to an amazing year um some of the football they played absolutely terrific terrific group to take every day in training attitude um charisma real characters in there i really really hope that three or four can can break break through and play in our team i think they've got another maybe year 18 months until that happens because it's as i've just, I said earlier the premier league is a tough league to get into but I'm really hopeful that we've got a, a generation, a crop of players that, that can break through into our first team. Oh, man. I mean, that is the dream of every oh, fan. And it was the, when you're watching that, the, the triumphs in the FA Youth Cup and everything the team did last season, that is the big hope as a fan. Yeah. You watch those players, you think, they look really good. Yeah. And, and that's part of the West Ham tradition and the West Ham way is, you know, bringing those young players through. You, you go around all the walls here and all the walls in the sports hall and the history and the tradition of that is there. And as I said earlier, that's how we get a lot of young players come to this club. Do you want to go to this young London club? Do you want to go to that London club? Or do you want to come to West Ham where you're going to be given a real opportunity? Um, certainly last year, the gaffer gave great opportunity in the European games. 
We just need to try and get them to that stage where they can break through into the Premier League team. And I was thinking earlier, is it almost the curse of the youth team coach that these players move up? <laughs> like you, you you get a great dressing room together and now the under-18 team this season is obviously very different to the one from yeah. last season. How does that feel as a, as a coach? Is there a, a tinge of sadness over the summer where you're losing some of the players and they're moving up into... Uh, I don't think sadness is the right word. I think it's part of being a youth team manager. You yeah. get the, the next crop and we've got some really, really talented lads who come through from school last year that I'm, I'm hopeful for again. Uh, this year's team is all right and we're doing okay. I just think that last year's just was had a, had a real specialness to it. Um, but it's good because they got up to the 21s and if you look how the 21s are doing this year... They're doing all right. They're doing all right. And I've got a little sneaky one that they might um, do well in, uh, what's it called? The Bristol Street Motors Cup. Right, right, right. Uh, I think I've got the name right on yeah. that one. Was the Papa John's. I think yeah, it's that yeah, one now. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've done amazingly. I think they're one of only three, maybe 21's teams to get through to that next round. Um, yeah, let's watch out for them there. Oh, man. So excited. I wanted to, I mean, your 40 year, you joined in 83. There has been spells where you've been out of the, uh, yes. out of the, the West Ham womb. You were part of Kenny Dalglish's backroom staff. <laughs> yeah. How was that as an experience? It's absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, I left here as coach and went to join Kenny at Liverpool and Steve Clark was there as assistant manager. And you start to realise how big that club is. Um, we went on tour to Asia and um, we had, I think, 100,000 to watch us train in the Thai National Stadium. Absolutely incredible to be at Anfield that season. Um I'm, I'm really sorry it only lasted a year because at the end of the year we'd got to the League Cup won the League Cup uh, we got to the FA Cup, FA Cup final and lost 2-1 to Chelsea we didn't do as well in the league because Luis Suarez got banned for I think it was ended up being about 13 or 14 games um, and that really knocked us back in the league and unfortunately Kenny left at the end of that season so um, the next manager come in and he didn't want me and that's what happens when you're the assistant or the first team coach you normally go with the, the manager but amazing amazing football club fantastic memories um, we played Everton three times that year and won all three one of them was the semi-final of the FA Cup at Wembley so really really good memories um, I'm putting that down as sort of that end of season as number three in my uh, football in memories number two would be 92-93 and number one would be the Youth Cup last oh, year Glad to hear 92-93 gets that higher yeah. prominence <laughs> I wanted to ask as well you've been uh, caretaker manager for three spells. Yes. Uh, after Pards, after Curbs, yep. and after Avram. I'm yep. not going to ask you what was toughest, but I would say, like, equally, I mean, every time you've been called upon as a caretaker manager, it's, I imagine you've walked into a really tough situation. Yeah, they're, they're always tough, especially when the manager leaves. But sometimes the manager leaves and the players are like, oh, thank God for that. And sometimes the manager <laughs> leaves and goes, oh, what's happened there? You know, what, 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 what have they done there? Um, it was an amazing experience to, to to have it. I did one game at Upton Park, which unfortunately was the last game of the season after Ram had left. I can really remember the West Brom game uh, after Pards left. We were playing away at West Brom. I think we ended up losing 3-2 and Scotty Parker missed a chance in the last minute to to equalise. Um, and it was one of Dean Ashton's last game. He's, he came off and I put the young Italian player on. I can't remember his name. Come on, you lot, anyone? D, D, <laughs> D McKayley, that's it. Um, amazing experience, the match of the day interview afterwards, all that sort of thing. And it was then in my thoughts to become a manager. And then I had six months being a manager uh, at Colchester. It was okay. But 
I found that as the manager, as the one in charge, it is football, the team, the ref, everything. It's never out of your head and it affects your life so much. Um, it affects your life so much. And I found that maybe being an assistant or youth team manager probably suits my personality and how I am more yeah. than that number one. I'm not sure that I'm gunning for that number one anymore. I've got total respect for everyone who is a number one in football because the pressure, especially at this top level, uh, gaffer, how the, the amount of pressure they, they get put under in the Premier League is incredible. Yes, they get paid well, but it takes a lot out of you psychologically, mentally. And it's something that's perhaps a little bit overlooked. It's refreshing to hear you talk about that because I often think it is one of the hardest jobs in the world. I think to get into a position of to be a manager, you have to have a bit of ego about you. Mm. But your ego is so out there, a defeat, and everyone is, especially in the age of social yeah. media and 24-hour news cycles, it, the world is on you. Exactly. I don't know how you can operate under that kind of, that kind of pressure. No. And, and I enjoy, I loved everything about being a manager. I loved the um, taking training, the team talks, the tactics, the picking the team, Saturday afternoon. The, the thing that I really struggle with, it is never, ever out of your head. Um, you're laying in bed at night, Saturday night, and the ref's made a decision, and you can't get it out of your head. Or you've made a team selection that perhaps didn't go quite well. It's not out of your head. Then the next game, you've got to think about that. Oh, and then you're traveling there. You've got to think about that. It is never out of your head. And I've got nothing but admiration for anyone who takes it on. And people like the gaffer who's done so many games, Eddie Howe, um, you know, anyone who's been in the game a long time and been number one, uh, their mental resilience is absolutely amazing. Did it give you a kind of, when you were manager of Colchester, did it give you a kind of newfound respect for the likes of Billy Bonds, Lou Macari and John Lyle? Did it give you a perspective that maybe you didn't see at the time when you were a player all the pressure they were under? Did it give you a whole new like look at those characters? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I'd spent quite a, a long time being first-team coach or assistant. I was assistant to Steve Clark at a lot of clubs. And it's easy, and I've said this to, to my young assistants, quite a few have jumped up. Gerald Prenderville's gone to the 21s. Loris, I've got with me at the moment. It's quite easy and it's a nice position to be in that number two when you can say, oh, no, I would play him. I'd play that team. We should play that formation. But actually when you've got to be the one who makes the decision, and especially at the real top level, when you've got social media, newspapers, everyone, television, millions of people all around the world watching, you know, it's a, it's a lot different being that one, the one behind the one. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, who's the lad, uh, Eddie's assistant at Newcastle, has been with him a long time, you know, and he had a little dabble in Tyndall, um, Jason Tyndall. He had a little dabble at Bournemouth as manager and didn't quite go. And maybe he's another one who thought, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, just right. being just that next one down yeah. where you don't get all the uh, all the attention. So, yeah, it, it did give me a, a different perspective. Yeah. I, I, I think anyone who does it, you know, amazing. Um so my final question, you've been here as an apprentice. I can well imagine you were sweeping the dressing rooms and yep. cleaning boots. You've been caretaker, manager, academy coach, first team coach. Is there any job you haven't done at this club? Player? What's left? Tea lady? Uh, do you know what? I, the other week, Adam, the chef asked me to, to, to dish up behind there. So I've done that. So I've got to take that one off. Uh, I've done the pitches as, as kids. Um, I'm not, 
I'm not sure, Chris. I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe sure I should be coming for your. Oh bar. yeah, well, yeah. I host I'm the not, that's the one. There we <laughs> yeah. go. That's the future. That's what the future holds for Kevin Keane. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Kev. It's always a pleasure for me to speak to people from the 92-93 squad. It's, I get I get to meet the first team players, and sure, that's exciting. But my the real excitement is meeting the likes of you who played with the great Clive Allen and Julian Dix. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time, Kevin Keane. There we go, Kev Keane. You've heard him talk through a lot of West Ham history there. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love the team of 92-93. As you can probably tell from that interview, the team that got me into football. Was there one particular side that got you into football, Ginge? For me, it was 92-93, West Ham. Um, as in, in general? Yeah, in football general. Was there um, one season, one team? I think 80s Liverpool would be me. Yeah. To know that they were obviously the uh, the iconic team at the time, but um, yeah, that sort of time. Like I, I spoke about before, I was a rugby man, mate. I was watch I was watching rugby in the in the eighties, nineties. So, yeah, if there was an iconic team, I'd look back on it would probably be the Liverpool sort of eighties into the early nineties. And um, Kev talked a little bit there about bringing Mark, seeing Mark Noble as a kind of fourteen, mm. fifteen year old coming through and having the tenacity and the personality that that told Kev straight away that he knew he was going to make it as a Premier League player. I wondered, what was your first interactions with Nobes? Like, do you re- do you remember, would he have been a kid back then? I'm trying to think. Yeah, he was, he was, well, he was well, telling, I, yeah 2005 when I signed, Nobes was, he was, I think he'd been out on loan maybe a little bit Ipswich, or, or coming yeah. in Ipswich. He was Nobes then though. Even as a young lad coming into the team, he, had, he hadn't played many games at the time. He was the voice, he was the voice, he was, he was as lively, we all know him, he, he, he was as lively then as he is now and, that is the measure of the man. He was, you could see from an early age, Nobles was going to gonna be a, a, a big force at the football club. It was the way he trained, the way he spoke in the dressing room, the way he had relationships with the coaches, as, as Kev has said, and, and the managers. But yeah, he's, he's always been the same. A little bit too mouthy as a youngster for my liking. <laughs> but no, he, he was amazing. Amazing voice in the dressing room. And obviously West Ham last season, Kev touched on it in that episode, winning the FA Youth Cup, winning the Premier League South. There's so much talent in the academy right now. And and you're sat in front of several boards of West Ham Academy players who have come through the ranks, down the years, through generations. And you just get the sense this is such a great club for youth team talent, isn't it? Well, it, it always has been, you know, it's the, it's the academy of football for a reason, you know, that the, some of the lads that have come through names have maybe not done massive things at West Ham, uh, West Ham, but gone on and uh, and had, you know, good careers elsewhere. But, um, and it comes down to people like Kev, you know, the people in the background, the, 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 the facilities we got here at, at Chadwell Heath now are, are, are incredible. So as a youngster coming into West Ham, you know, there's a path to get through to the, to the first team. And, um, Hopefully, we'll see a lot more coming through in the future. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you, Ginge. And a big thank you to Kevin Keane. That was excellent. I really enjoyed that. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Until next time, come on, you Irons. Podcast Network.